I invite you to uh, turn with me or scroll to Colossians chapter 1. So I begin this morning by taking you back all the way to the 1900s in a chapter of Durwood Bible Church's history. Boys and girls, uh, there was a time when when we wrote the date, we started with 19 and not 2-0. Back when the church had a sign and the area out there in Red, by Redland Road was just a grassy field. This is Jim and Kate Dunn's wedding announcement, not that one, uh, back in 1997. <clears throat> it's their anniversary, so that's why I saw that. Now, some of us remember how things used to be. Just a grassy field out front. To be honest, not very exciting. But now it's a vibrant community, a townhome, apartment. Lots of people from all different walks of life live right next to us. In fact, about 15 years ago, when we made the decision to stay here and not move north. It was because we knew we would have a mission field moving right to our doorstep. Now, as the landscape of our church property has changed, in the same way, the landscape of our heart, of our life, changes as we grow in Christ, as we live life. So I have a few questions for your consideration this morning. Number one, as Christians, are we saved simply so that we can go to heaven when we die? Thank you, George. (laughs) The answer will come later. This is just to prime the pump, but is it optional or even plausible for a Christian to not grow and develop in his or her faith? Number three, is God even interested or involved in me maturing and growing as a Christian? Number four, does God's word even speak to this? Do I have a right as a pastor to insist on this and to speak to this whole matter of Christian maturity, of growing in Christ, of developing, of following him deeper and deeper, if you will? So a very quick review of what has brought us to this place. Paul begins this letter by addressing the Colossians as saints. Which is an extraordinary way to open a letter. Because the word saint in many circles means that you have attained a level of awesomeness and we're now going to call you saint. Paul says because of the gospel... Every single one of you is a saint because you are clothed with his righteousness. I take you back again to the 1900s, Durwood Bible Church. Yesterday I had an exchange with one of our former pastors from the 1970s. 
And I noticed at the end of his email, his signature line, his name is Mike Reed, at the end of the email, at the signature line, it was the prayer from Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11. In this prayer, Paul prays that we would have a solid position upon the truth of God. We would be positioned well. He prays that we would progress in that truth, that we would grow, that we would mature in the truth. And he prayed for power, that we would be, that we would walk in the power of the Spirit, that we would experience his anointing and know what his presence is. So what about the truth about Jesus. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the firstborn of all creation, meaning it all belongs to him. He inherits it all. Why? Well, because he made it all. All things were made for him, and he holds all things together. He is the firstborn from the dead. Meaning, he is the first one to die, to defy death, to be raised again, never to die again. Because death did not, does not have jurisdiction over him. We are reconciled. We are redeemed. These are gospel terms. Reconciled to God by the battered and bloodied body of Jesus Christ on the cross by his blood. So great are my sins and so vast his holiness. Yet he has redeemed us. Meaning... He has bought us, saved us out of the penalty and the power of sin. Now these are no arbitrary facts. Paul suffered immensely for his participation in gospel ministry. He exchanged his privilege as a religious leader for persecution. And he said, I did not regret that for one second of my life. Now, that's where we've been. What is the first stop that Paul makes as he continues after telling us all of that? It is Christian growth and maturity. Don't stay where you are. Keep pushing forward. Colossians chapter 1. The last two verses. Verses 28 and 29. Speaking of Christ. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. And teaching everyone. With all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Struggling with all of his energy. 
that he so powerfully works within me. So as we can see, first and foremost, Paul is incredibly driven to ensure that the Colossian believers grow and mature in Christ. That is his focus. Having told us all of that rich theology, he wants us to grow. So let's first look at his method. Because that is a good orientation of where we are heading with what Paul has to say. How does Paul operate? Does he put on self-help seminars to make you a better version of you? Does he pamper us? Does he look and just say, you are so wonderful, so beautiful, just the way you are? Does he tell us to do what works best for us? Figure it out. Whatever makes you comfortable, stay there. Be good to yourself. Avoid discomfort at all costs. Because George didn't say it, the answer is no. He takes us first and foremost to the straight edge of God's truth. To God's word. Listen. He proclaims Christ. That is the sum and the substance of our message. The word proclaim is not, does not mean to speak softly. It means to herald. He is proclaiming Jesus Christ. They're already Christians. He's proclaiming Christ. Knowing God's truth is the important matter. Not acquiescing to my truth, my worldview, my perspective, actually is not the straight edge by which I live my life. Remember, Jesus is Lord. Not me, and not you. Not culture. He is the one that we listen to. He is the one that we grow up into. He makes it his ambition to teach the truth. Why? So we can be positioned upon God's truth and live God's truth out. Now this idea of promoting teaching for Christian maturity... Have we heard this before? Consider what Dale read earlier in the service. We call it the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations and do two things. Teach them, baptize them. That's it. You have to have the truth to teach people. 
as we make disciples, we are growing them, as Peter says, and in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The process of maturing disciples is to teach God's truth. Consider something else that Jesus said. I invite you to turn there. John chapter 17. This is known as the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' prayer for his own. For them, and by extension, for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart. It means to make holy. The mechanism by which we grow primarily is via the truth. Taking the truth of God, learning it, reflecting upon it, making it our own. We grow through God's word. The path to personal holiness, to developing, to maturing as a Christ follower is upon his word. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, you are actually and truly my disciples indeed if you continue in my word. So never downplay the importance of reading and studying and meditating and discussing with one another God's word. Do not spurn those who endeavor to teach God's word faithfully as they will give an account before God regarding their fidelity to the truth. On Friday night, we had a wonderful gathering of Awana leaders. Here is most but not all of our Awana crew. Awana is our midweek Bible club for kids every Wednesday night. You can hear a little bit more about it later on from Jeff. They learn God's word in the context of having a whole lot of fun. But here's what I really appreciated. We kind of went around the circle and just said, well, how did we learn about Awana? Why do we love it? And it was so nice to hear many say, well, I love seeing kids learn God's word. It's right at the center of it all. Now, Paul does not just say that he teaches. He uses another word which is extremely important. And we cannot overlook it. Warning. He teaches and he warns. He warns people. This is your first clue that growing in the Lord, that maturing in Christ is not always easy. It does not always come naturally in our lives. 
If we need to be warned from God's word, that tells me that sometimes God's word will confront my current thinking or my actions and I must bring them in obedience to God's word. God shows his love for us by warning us. It is always for our good. It is always for a better life. So teaching is the positive mechanism. Warning is the negative. You're you're going off course here. You're straying. You're going where you don't need to be. This obviously is equally true for unbelievers as well. The gospel is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. He has laid down his life. He was buried. He rose again. And anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. But the message from Paul, Acts 17, is God calls all men everywhere to repent. Now, there's an important next step in what Paul says, and it is hugely important. How, in what way, Does Paul teach and warn people? How does he view propelling Christians to maturity? Watch what he says next. He says he toils. He strives. He struggles. We're going to get to this in just a bit in a little more detail. But for now, I want you to see that he takes it seriously and he expects the same of us, the same mindset. Now, what is it that Paul is teaching to? What is it that he is warning and teaching people? It's exactly this. To present you and me mature in Christ. That's it. To present each and every one of us mature in Christ for us not to have stunted growth, uneven edges in our lives, but to grow up into maturity in Christ. Now watch this. It is to present everyone, not just a special few. Not just the talented ones. Not just the ones who don't have a messy past. But every single one of us. Not one of us is unable, with God's help, to walk in maturity in the Lord. Can I just stop for a moment? That is so encouraging. You made the cut, you're able to grow. You are able to mature in Christ. Your past, your hang-ups, your family of origin, trauma, all of those things which are so real in our lives. Sometimes we disqualify our own selves. Well, I'm not as talented. I mean, just look at how naturally she does it over there. I could never do that. Every single one of us. Paul is highly motivated to teach you how to walk 
with Christ. How to honor God in your life. How to love other people well. How to care for the poor. How to advocate for those in need. How to pursue holiness in all that you do. How to develop the eternal perspective. So you're not wasting your life on lesser things. How to discern right from wrong. How to be good news to those around you. And how to know to articulate the gospel to people. How to live a life that is filled with joy and with peace. He is motivated to help you learn how to think Biblically, and how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. So I'm going to circle back to my questions now. This is like a mid-sermon mid quiz. Are we saved so that we can just go to heaven when we die? And everybody said? All right. 100% so far. Is it optional or even plausible for a Christian to not grow and develop according to Paul? Eh? No. Thank you. Of course, our growth cannot be what we want it to be. There are seasons and so forth. But what Paul is speaking to and preaching to is that Christians grow and mature. Is God interested, number three, or involved in my maturing as a Christian? Yes. Does God's word speak to this? Yes and yes and yes to all of that question. But wait, there's more. There's a tension point in scripture. We see this all the time in God's word. This tension point. Paul says that he toils. That he struggles to this end to present us mature but there's another element that is at play Paul is working hard he's focused he is intentional he's facing difficulty but it's God who is working in and through Paul this changes everything I am called to a life of holiness. We are to support one another in this process of discipleship and growing in the Lord. But God is at work. The toil and the struggle that Paul presents is by God's energy, not his. This is the difference, my friends, between healthy Christian leadership... Fellowship and growth versus fleshy Christian living. Meaning, just trying to do better the next day, which never works. So let me take, let's take a look together at one of the most consequential passages on this matter. Turn to the left, one book, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 12. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work hard at it. Reverence for God. Not work for it, work, work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with a sense of reverence for who God is. But verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you have known the Lord for any amount of time, you see these tension points in all throughout scripture. Work hard. Again, not for your salvation, working it out. Work hard, but God is at work in you. To not only do, but to will to do the right thing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Never Give God your second best. Stay on it. Pursue it with godly reverence. You do not learn to play a musical instrument by practicing once in a while, when you feel like it, by persistence. And we apply that to anything, sports, anything. We must avoid two extremes. It's all up to me or God's going to take care of it all. That's the challenge. On one extreme, people can often say, oh my goodness, me growing as a Christian, even staying a Christian, is all up to me. That's not biblical. But so is the other extreme, that I can just kick back and I'm going to automatically grow. Because it's true that God is at work in me, but all throughout the New Testament, we are called to be intentional about growing in the Lord. Now, here's the thing. The beautiful reality is that while we invest ourselves to encourage one another in the Lord, to support one another, to pray for one another, we have the confidence in knowing that God was there first. That God is at work. I don't know about you, but that gives me such relief and encouragement and perspective. God is at work. My duty is to take what I know to be true and to grow in that, to obey in that. And I have a duty to each of you and vice versa to encourage and support one another. But it's not just us. God is there. With that in mind, let's go back to that one word in the ESV. Struggle. It's a very strong word. So a little Greek. The word is agonized, zomai. You might recognize that somewhat in the English. That word means to 
contend, to struggle, to struggle with difficulties and dangers, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, to strive so as to obtain something. Like you have a goal, you have an end point, you are striving, you are agonizing to attain something. This is the language that Paul uses from his perspective in encouraging and equipping and engaging believers to press them to maturity. And I submit to you, they are the words, the concepts that we should own in our own walk with the Lord. Never giving him second best. And never giving our brothers and sisters the scraps either. This is important to the Lord and we need one another. So I present you with these questions. Are you striving to push on to maturity in your walk with the Lord? Or are you on cruise control? We've all been there. Are you comfortable with where you're at without pushing forward? Are you working out your salvation with holy reverence and trembling? Knowing who it is that you worship and you serve. Perhaps knowing a little bit better from this very chapter in God's word. Who it is, who it was who hung on the cross for you. Who took the blows for you. Who shed his blood for you. What needs to change? What do you need to stop doing? Start doing? Get rid of? Or add? Here's a word of encouragement in the midst of all of that. Those difficult experiences in our lives, God is faithful to use them to grow and mature us. To learn to trust him more deeply. I believe this is a word that many of us need to hear this morning and take it to heart. Growth does not happen automatically. It does not happen without any effort. And so much in the New Testament is about us helping one another. We are not designed, never made to do this by ourselves. When we pull back from people, we all know it's true. It doesn't work. We need to rub shoulders with one another. We need to be in our lives, in the messiness of our lives. 
So next week we'll make further application and present the Lord Jesus in all of his glory and how he presents himself personally to each of us in our walk with the Lord. Lest this felt a little harsh, I hope it didn't, direct but not harsh, it will be a very gentle presentation indeed because that is the Lord's heart for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Thank you for that old rugged cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you for reconciliation in full, completely forgiven, accepted, adopted into your family, a place at the table for us. Thank you for redemption for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and placing us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the one that you love. Thank you. Refresh and remind us of your faithful kindness towards us. Remind us of that secure position that we have in Christ. Remind us of that good word. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Redeemed from the penalty and from the power. Oh Lord, we give you thanks. Our prayer as always is if there is but one person here or later in the sound of my voice who has not yet turned to Christ, that they would do so, putting their faith and their confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. The one who died for sins was buried and rose again. Hallelujah. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.